Another Way to Play, episode 56. Hey, this is Andrew Henderson, managing partner of Nomad Capitalist. And if you want to learn how to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my friend, Hans Strusina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is Andrew Henderson, who's the managing partner of the Nomad Capitalist and the most sought-after expert on global citizenship. Andrew lives by five magic words, go where you're treated best. Uh, the Nomad Capitalist helps people find the best places to live, bank, invest, incorporate, start a business, hire, and more. After nearly a dozen years visiting over 100 countries, Andrew has become an expert on the growing field of global citizenship. He's an author, author of The Nomad Capitalist, a book discussing the concepts of global citizenship that anyone can apply. This interview is jam-packed with some really interesting content. Uh, he gives us just some unbelievable thoughts, ideas, Very some of them controversial, some of them just fascinating, um, but all of it is going to be something you're going to want to listen to. Uh, Andrew actually uh, talks about him giving up his United States citizenship for some personal and tax reasons. Uh, he talks about, you know, different ideas, strategies, ways you can invest, reasons that people, um, you know, get dual citizenships, open bank accounts in other countries, and some very practical ideas on how you personally can start if you have any interest in all living as a citizen of the world as opposed to just a single country. Now, if you get any value out of this, guys, I'd really appreciate you heading over to iTunes, leaving me a written rating and review really helps me grow and gain critical feedback. I do read all of those reviews, so um, it means an awful lot to me if you're able to go over there and just leave some comments and some feedback. Plus, it helps the channel grow uh, tremendously. And if you want to connect with me directly about this episode or any of the others that I've put out, head down to the show notes. I've got my Calendly link uh, down there. You can grab a 15-minute slot. We can have a quick chat just to get to know each other, talk about the show, uh, business, the Olympics, you know, whatever. I would just love to get to know you and continue to also figure out how to keep providing value uh, to you as a listener. Thanks in advance for all of that. And guys, now without any further ado, let's get into it. This is my interview with the nomad capitalist, Andrew Henderson. Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate you taking some time. Great to be with you. Glad to be with you. So before we get into the meat of what you're doing now, which is which is pretty intense as we were talking before we hit record, uh, let's build some context for the audience. Let's let's talk about really where your journey began. Well, I grew up for folks who are from the United States. I grew up in Cleveland, the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio. And if you're from the United States, you know the one acceptable response to someone telling you that, which is, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, <laughs> and so there's a certain humility in the Midwest U.S., which I guess uh, I'm proud of and certainly have left the U.S. itself, but the Midwest, very interesting place. I remember being 11 or 12 years old, 
and I'm and I'm uh, I'm driving around with my father. I think we'd gone to to an amusement park or something, and he was very fascinated. The same way many of the people that we work with now are are fascinated with the idea of going somewhere else, living in another country, changing their life, having an adventure. Uh, a lot of people have that fascination. Not many people execute on it, like like most good ideas. But we were mm-hmm. going around, and I was we were talking about it, and he said, "Listen." You know, I, I was telling about some of my friends who were, you know, their parents were already kind of telling them how their life was going to be when they got older and what their obligations were and, you know, how each decade of their life was going to play out. He said, listen, uh, do not feel that you have to stay in the same city as your parents because you have to take care of us. Uh, don't feel that you have to stay in the same state. And then he said, you know, let me, if I even think about it, don't think you have to stay in the same country even to take care mm-hmm. of your family. He said, you should go where you're treated best and you should go, especially if you're going to be in business. But he says, you know, the world is not a, a static place. It changes. Uh, and what's the best place to be tomorrow, whether it's for living, business, what have you, it changes. You know, we always talked about how Argentina was one of the wealthiest countries at the turn of the 20th century. Argentina has been a basket case for some time mm-hmm. now. But the lesson was go where you're treated best. And those have become the five magic words that I've resurrected many years later as an example of you know going where you're treated best. And so I think I was very fortunate to have uh, an upbringing in that regard where it was uh, like, you know, you don't owe your family. Uh, you should go and create something great for yourself. How did, in retrospect, he gain that, that type of idea or that, because that doesn't strike me as a typical... Um, Midwestern ideal mm-hmm. like you know you would expect maybe someone from the coast to say something that not to be totally you know mm. biased towards California or wherever but like where do you think that that mentality came from? I, I think it's interesting actually you know I, I, I spent a lot of my adult life in Arizona and also briefly in California and you have a lot of people from the Midwest there I think they do move sure. uh, around and, and it's it's kind of just like this, this blank slate and I don't you know, I think he was a guy who was in the media. He was a guy who was in business and uh, he was just a very pragmatic guy. And it's a very rare permission slip, I think. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people, I look all around the world, not just in the United States, but all around the world. And people say, you know, I have to take care of my parents. I owe them something. Mm-hmm. And what my parents did was they went out and they worked hard and they set themselves up so that no one had to take care of them. And they mm-hmm. had double and triple redundancies, which is one of the things that I think is so important in life. And so I think, you know, you know, my father also came from the background of finance and uh, insurance and that kind of thing. And I think he just realized, listen, you know, uh, I've got to take care of myself. It's just the way he operates. I don't want to be a burden. I think it just kind of, you know, came out. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be some great saying. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I also think that he's a student of, of history and he looked out there and he, you know, 1995 picked four countries, three of which, maybe even four of which, would have been pretty good places to go. And they've trended upwards uh, over the years. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, I just think he saw that, you know, no, no one place wins forever and, and wanted his kids to be a part of that. Perhaps, you know, I mean, seeing that he already had a family, it was harder for him to execute and he wanted his kids to do it. I don't know, but uh, go where you're treated best. Really well said. You said just a few minutes ago that you sort of resurrected that go where you treated best, that saying those five words later in your life. Does that mean there was sort of an in-between phase when you didn't live by that? Or, or how, do, how did that go once you heard those to the time you resurrected them? 
Well, here, here's what I think is interesting. I mean, I think everyone really at their core is trying to go where they're treated best. I mean, certain people can talk about what we talk about, which is, you know, move somewhere where you can choose a lower tax rate because taxes in countries like the U.S. are ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, go somewhere where the cost of living is lower. Go somewhere where the dating is better. Go somewhere wherever. Some mm -hmm. people would say, oh, that's selfish. I say everyone is going where they're treated best all the time. I'm just happening to say it, and I'm happening to say you can change your life and you don't have to stay in one place. But what I'll tell you is, yeah, I uh, was always interested in business. I think that was about the time, 11 or 12, when I was interested in business. And if you remember back, you know, 95, 96, no one cool wanted to be in business. It was not like it is today where it's like, you know, all the cool kids are starting businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, this was like a thing that was kind of laughed at. And my father said, listen, you know, this is going to be a tough thing to do if you want to be su successful. And so in my teenage years, I looked a lot at politics. I was very libertarian and I said, you know, taxes are too high and all this kind of stuff. And then I went out at 19 and I started a business and I pretty quickly got hit by a big tax bill. And now it wasn't theory anymore. Now it was reality. And so I, I did kind of put those words to the side uh, because, again, I don't think that he meant it to be like some great uh, theatrical production, you know, where you should remember these five words. It was just kind of a happenstance. But I started traveling and I started noticing things and I would go to one place and I would go to another place. Then I met someone that encouraged me to travel a lot more. And I eventually just was traveling full time to where I noticed all the different things out there in the world that were different or better than where I was from. And so eventually I said, you know, I don't want to live in the United States anymore, largely for personal reasons. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, you know, this is back in a day when if you're 22 years old and you're wearing cufflinks, you're, you know, you're a weirdo. Mm -hmm. uh, somehow when I went to Europe, met a lot more people who were, you know, on the same wavelength with me. And so I did that. And when I did that, I started researching, you know, what happens if I'm not in the U.S. for seven months a year? Like, do I pay taxes? How does that work? You know? And that's when I kind of started to figure out how does it work for what we talk about now, which is, you know, uh, the offshore world and second citizenships and all that. Um, and so, yeah, there was a period of time when I was sitting in the United States and paying a lot of money uh, and not fully going where I was treated best. Wow. And, and you had that realization and that slowly took you on a path of, travel a little bit, keep asking questions, keep meeting people all the way to now I'm literally just traveling almost full time. And uh, what does that even then mean? And that obviously is taking you down the, the path that you're, you're on now. Right. So it became a question of building the infrastructure. I mean, there was no nomad capitalist really around. I mean, there were certainly people in the offshore business, but it was really a, you know, a shady, dingy business. I mean, you look at the Wolf of Wall Street movie, Right. And, uh, look at all the shadiness that existed. And so when I started writing about this stuff in 2012, 2013, I'd been researching it for a while. And, you know, I've gained a lot of insights since then by doing it more and more and more. I try and do as many different things as I can. And I said, I'm going to be the guy with a face with a real name. I'm not going to be hiding out in a cave somewhere because because there's so many real entrepreneurs like myself that I imagine want to resonate with this and can benefit from this they don't want some guy using a stock picture and a fake name. Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of old school. That's for like, you know, 60 year olds who are worried about Obama taking their pension. That's not for young right. people who are creating something, you know, at the seven, eight figure level. For me, it's just been one step at a time. What I try and mentor people now is that they can move faster than I did. But what I also understand is people are going to dip their toe in. Mm -hmm. It is hard to achieve permanence on the first thing. I was just talking to a couple of people last night 
And I said, let's just set something up for the first year. Where's your apartment going to be? Where are you going to spend your time? And then go in and explore and figure it out. Because I think that no one really can, can jump from, I live in the United States to now I'm here. This is my lifetime home. I'm not going anywhere else. But there has to be a progress of steps of dipping your toe in, then some more, then some more, then some more. I think that's important. I, that's actually a great segue because that's uh, where I was going to go is, you know, a lot of people probably watch your content or have read your book or, you know, read the articles that you put out or whatever. And are like, yo, that's, that's really cool. Like I really like the idea of, you know, moving around to where you're treated best, where, whether it's taxes or lifestyle or what have you. Then they look at their own life and they're like, but <laughs> I've got a mortgage, I've got, you know, car payments, I've got a, a job, you know, I've got kids or family mm -hmm. obligation that I feel like, how do I go from where I'm at to the direction that Andrew's talking about taking me in? And so that's the question I'm, I'm going to ask you. Yeah. Well, I think the best way to do something is by doing something. Certainly uh, when I started doing this, uh, I didn't have kids. I did have a mortgage at one point. I think pretty early on in my you know research phase, a couple years into it, I did get a house in the U.S. I was still doing a, quite a bit of traveling and looking for deals and stuff like that. But uh, I had a mortgage. I think when, what I had in that case was I had a business that far outstripped the mortgage. I've always lived well below my means. I think that's one thing that you have to look at is you know if you are taking out debt, you know, if you're driving the best car, if you're uh, living in the maximum home that you can get in a mortgage. I mean, you might want to change that. For me, mm -hmm. you know, living in cities where I'm not a native means I don't have to keep up with the Joneses anymore. I do some pretty nice mm -hmm. stuff, but you know, I live in Mal I'm, I'm in Malaysia right now. Cars cost three to four times what they cost in the United States. You want a Mercedes? Might cost you two hundred grand. I'm not paying two hundred grand because I don't really enjoy driving that much. And so everyone else here is like, "How can you have a car?" I say, "What do I care? I, I just float above it. I walk around the city center." I've got a totally different life and, and I just live the way I want. So I think you have to evaluate the way that you're living, but really the best way to do something is by doing it. And so what I would say is really the issue is you've got to mentally prepare yourself. One thing I tell people is you can go to a country like an Armenia and you can go and open a bank account with almost no minimum deposit in a, in a couple of days. And you can get, you know, multi-currency accounts, you can get high interest rates. Um, and that's a good first step. And then, you know, a month goes by, three months go by, whatever, and your money's still sitting there and you just earned 5% interest. And you think, okay, this isn't so bad. Maybe then you go back and you look at some property or you look at a business opportunity, whatever. So there's different ways to do the nomad capitalist thing. There's the financial ways where, mm -hmm. you know, we do help some people. Hey, I just want to move my money into better banks, better investments, overseas, financial. Mm -hmm. you know, the tax perspective is different, but you can do the financial stuff from anywhere in the world. You know, then there's the second passport. Maybe you go and establish a residence in a country on the way to getting a passport. You know, maybe you go and make a small investment in a country. There's these little peer-to-peer -peer lending websites and sites like Kazakhstan. You can invest to make big percentages. I've got a friend who runs an investment fund in Cambodia that anyone can get into. They're, they've done very well. So you know, my thing is finding things you can do today to prime the pump. A bank account's a great way to do that because I can tell you, even when I started looking at this, it's like, ooh, where's that bank? No thanks. Seems mm -hmm. weird, right? Yep. You have to get over the weirdness or else you'll never do it. So right. yeah, you're, you're never going to go out and buy nine homes around the world and have 27 bank accounts and do all that if you don't start and just get over the fear. And what, how do you coach people to actually get over the fear? Because I imagine that's the first step. Like 
investing in that first rental property, buying that first stock or, you know, opening that first foreign bank account. Like there is some newness in inherently humans. We don't like change and, sure. uh, you know, we're scared of the unknown. So like, how do you recommend people? Is it just like, you got to take that deep dive, hold your breath and jump off the cliff? Or is there something more practical than just trust it that you give people? Well, I mean, we run a, a high level consultancy. So people are coming to us for, uh, to fix a problem. Often that problem is, listen, Andrew, I'm making a million dollars a year. I'm here in Canada. I'm paying $450,000 a year in tax. It's ridiculous. I can't grow my business as effectively. You know, I had just a, a, a married couple yesterday. They make 800 and some thousand dollars a year. They're not saving much after they pay all the taxes, they pay the cost of living. They're not living a bad life, certainly, but they're, they're living with the Joneses, right? They're barely, they're just kind of treading water uh, at 800K. And so if they come to me, it's like, listen, we already established they've got a problem. Here's what you've got to do. And so what I'm trying to do is find the minimal viable solution. So, you know, in their case, for example, you know, they're talking about, let's, we would like to set up what I call my trifecta method, where you have three homes and you roughly split your year across those three homes. It's for people like me who I love Asia. I love Kuala Lumpur, but you want a little bit of Europe. I also have a home in Bogota, Colombia. So you kind of like that. Maybe it's not a perfect four, four, four months, but you know, we like the idea of four home bases. We can bounce around between them, not deal with hotels. Everything's ready when we arrive in the house, et cetera. I said, mm-hmm. well, that's great. Right now we need a tax strategy to set you up with one home. So let's find the one home that works and let's not focus on that being permanent. You know, I think so many people, they think like they're gonna make a choice that's for the rest of their life. You can move whenever you want. You don't need permission. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, let's find the first one. Let's rent for the first year. Uh, depending on which country it is, if it's Asia, great. You, you need to move some of your money into a, into a foreign bank account in that country anyway. Maybe we find a residence program where you can live in the country and gain tax status in the country by putting your money in their bank, which kills two birds with one stone. And you know, you're not really spending a lot. So I think that the key is small steps, taking the first step first with a vision towards the entire picture that unravels over time. And also you know, killing as many birds with one stone uh, by not having people make massive investments at first. Most people are not making massive investments at first. They need to get in, get in the water, kind of swim around for a while, and then see how they feel about it. And so I, mm. I very rarely say, go make this investment Yeah, on day one. That's, that makes a ton of sense. It's, it's uh, baby steps, you know, go in the shallow end and work your way in. Uh, wholeheartedly agree with that when now now if someone says andrew you know i I must live we had one gentleman he said my wife will only move if it's to spain and i said okay well spain has a tax reduction it's not really amazing but okay if you're coming from california it's better than california it lasts for six years and i said all right you know here's how we're going to do it are you going to qualify through one of these complicated methods no I'm i'm a wealthy guy that's too difficult buy a half million euro house so now he's making an investment but he can afford it it's a small fraction of his net worth the guy mm-hmm. runs a multi-hundred dollar, you know, multi-nine figure company. So there are times when it goes in perspective. You know, if we have a guy with $200 million, he just sold a business, you know, a million dollars is a pretty small part of his world. And if he just wants to say, hey, I don't want to have any commitments. I want total flexibility. Maybe the price point for that's a million dollars. But you're, I'm not going to say that to a guy who has $800,000 income. And speaking of the guy who's got 800 or, you know, even in just cracking into the six figures, but they're, they're keen to get into this world um, and be more of a citizen of the world as opposed to a specific country, you know, 
is it is it just those baby steps that you you coach people on like open a bank account see how it goes on top of that how does the the work aspect because obviously if you're traveling a lot of people would have a hard time making money and so mm-hmm. do you coach people as well to look at alternate ways of of creating income for themselves our approach I mean I've been an entrepreneur since I'm 19 years old and so I'm I'm probably in a bit of my own world in that regard. I mean, I, I really work with entrepreneurs, investors. We've had cryptocurrency. Last night, we had a guy who you know, built a big, high seven-figure portfolio of crypto. Um, so that's really who, who we work with. I'm not someone who says, you know, I'm, I'm not the best coach on here's how to make money. Now, again, I think we had a guy recently. He's the CEO of a company, and he's transitioning into consulting work, you know, makes about a million dollars a year. So for me, it's about you already have something that's generating income that's location independent. Now, you know, keep in mind, I ran different businesses in the United States. The biggest one was in in the broadcasting industry, kind of a market maker for infomercials. Um, And, you know, I did that all around the world. And I Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize, and I started to ask myself, why am I paying the U.S. government so much tax? I'm spending, you know, six months a year in China and Europe and everywhere else. And and so that was remote, even though it was kind of a U.S.-focused business. I later invested in several other companies, including, you know, a swimming pool company was, I think, our Mm -hmm. best ROI. And, you know, theoretically, with the manager in place, because what do I know about swimming pools and a team in place? I mean, that could have been a remote business. Mm -hmm. Now, there's different tax consequences because the business is on the ground in the U.S. and you got to work around that. So, I mean, I think a lot of businesses can be remote that people don't think can be remote. But yeah, my, my thing is really you have something where you can make the move. Or again, you're the guy who just sold a company for $200 million and you just want to go out and acquire three passports because all your friends have them and you figure why not have an insurance policy in case you ever want to move. So that's really how it works. So, so the answer is if you aren't at that you know million dollar uh, or a huge liquidity event level is to start thinking about systems and processes to potentially remove yourself so that you could be in a position to to run it in a, run your business in a more remote fashion before you you really go yeah. deep on a strategy like what you're suggesting. I mean, again, I think what I would tell someone just you know for consumption, not necessarily in what I do, but in just consumption is, yeah, I mean, if you have a vacation from work, go to a country like you know Georgia or Armenia or Montenegro and and open a bank account. Uh, if you have, you know, if you get a big bonus, maybe you go out and and you buy some stocks in another country, or maybe you go out and call my my guy in Cambodia and you invest in some of his stuff, or you you know go and you're in Montenegro for the summer, opening your bank account and you find a cheap property and and you buy that. I mean, any little steps that you take is good. Listen, if you have a parent, grandparent, great grandparent from another country. Uh, it's quite possible you could be entitled to citizenship from that country. We've helped many people do that, you know, go and get your citizenship. I just have helped a friend get his Italian passport. It took about three years. You know, now he's an Italian citizen. He's a European Union citizen. So any of those steps are important, but I do leave, you know, how to make money, how to build your online business, how to build your remote business. Lots of great people who are doing that. I've said where I'm best at is you're already there. You know, how do we help you reduce the taxes, create a global citizen lifestyle, you know, become a dual citizen, and then invest some of that extra surplus in other places where it can grow faster and safer. That's, thank you for all that distinction, because I, I think that that's a really a good way to look at things as far as like the baby steps, but also the big picture here. You've traveled a lot, obviously, you live all over the world. Like, this is a question I bring up a lot to a number of different 
uh, guests, like what are some of the big success myths that you've ever heard? And, and I'm interested to hear if you have a, a different opinion on that from many who've come on the show because of your international travels and exposure to other countries. Well, you know, I think one of the great myths that I see uh, is, you know, people thinking they can only do it in their own country. You know, I come from the United States. Uh, I'm no longer a U.S. citizen for a number of reasons. It was never a place that, that just resonated with me personally. And that's not saying that anyone else should do that. I think one myth is that you should copy everyone else. Uh, even if they're successful, you should copy everyone else exactly. I think everyone should have their own strategy. But, you know, for me in the United States, people say, oh, you know, you wouldn't be successful if it weren't for the United States. I would say, no, I wouldn't be successful if it weren't for the attitude of my parents and the way they, you know, brought me up. Uh, and, you know, certainly there's a certain mentality in the United States, but you can create a successful business anywhere. People are doing it. I have people from Morocco, from Ukraine, from Russia. Uh, we just started taking on people who aren't Westerners recently, and we had a flood of people who love what we're doing, and they're making millions of dollars a year. You know, we have a, a two different people who built billion-dollar businesses, one in Eastern Europe, one in, South, in, uh, in, in East Asia. So... This idea that your country is the be-all, the end-all, it's the only place to be successful. People do that, especially around election season. I guess there's an election coming up in the not yep. too distant future not in the United States. <laughs> and they're going to wave the flag. And it's the best place on earth. And nobody could do it anywhere else. And to me, it's about the individual. And I've never been one of these entrepreneurs who has a super tremendous amount of self-confidence and I can do anything. I actually kind of live by imagining someone could clobber me over the head tomorrow and beat me. Uh, and I live by that. But, you know, I, I just think this whole myth of the lines uh, are ridiculous. And so you can build your business. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be successful always. I mean, I spent time in Asia for many years, especially years ago. I met many people who were starting businesses and many of them didn't work. And they went back and they got jobs in the tech industry in, in the U.S. Mm -hmm. But some of them did work. And for me, it worked. I built the biggest business that I've ever built, we just surpassed recently my numbers from broadcasting, I did it entirely outside of the United States. And, and I think a myth is that somehow geography ties into your success. That's awesome, man. As, as, you're, as you're describing, I'm just sort of daydreaming about all of it because it's, it's when you really take a step back and listen to some of your content and your stories, um, you can't help but sort of wonder what else is possible in, in outside of just the borders of the United States. And I, I'm inspired by it and I'm sure someone else will be. Um, the other myth, by the way, I mean, you know, I'm not in the work and travel camp or it's like the, the beach lifestyle, the laptop lifestyle. I mean, that's not really how it works. I mean, it's hard work. Now, right. you know, could I be a little bit less successful? Could I just relax a little bit and, and not be a workaholic and be, you know, I'm sure I could. But, you know, I think the rules of the game are the same everywhere. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing. I started going to uh, the gym again recently. And I, th I think to myself, if I put as much effort into the gym as I put into my business, I mean, I, it could be incredible. If yeah. I put as much effort into learning a language as I put into the business, it'd be incredible. We all have different choices. Some people right. are much more moderated than I am, but everything is hard work. Moving to Malaysia, Cambodia, Colombia does not make it magically easier other than maybe there are some more virgin business ideas on the ground there. Mm -hmm. um, but there are also challenges. And so nothing is easy for sure, as you know. Speaking of nothing is easy, like you're, you're going real hard outside of your comfort zone, especially probably in the early days of all of this. 
Talk to us about a failure you encountered and what you learned from it that was invaluable down the road. I think one of my failures is I haven't had enough failures because I, I, you know, I probably haven't pushed things enough at some times, but there's been tons of little failures. You know, I had a problem in the offshore world a couple of years ago with, with a bank uh, that a lot of people had a problem with this bank and it was really stressful. Uh, I've had problems at times, you know, growing and, you know, one of my strengths has not been HR. I've had to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just know how to do, 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 do. And it doesn't really translate well into hiring people who want to work in your company, especially as you grow and you need employees. So what I, one of the big failures I would say, if you want to call it a failure, is just not having discernment in hiring to figure out, you know, uh, who are the fanboys who want to come in and cause problems? Mm-hmm. Uh, who are the people who aren't really dedicated? Who are the people who maybe are too fragile for working in a startup? Uh, and how do you adjust to that? That's been one of the things that I've had to learn a lot as we've grown from three people about, uh, about two years ago to 23, 24 people now and operating at a much higher level. That's been a really hard thing for me to learn because I'm just like, go, 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 do, 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 mm-hmm. and want to understand. And so for me, it's been about learning. Not everyone knows what you know. In my case, I think a lot of entrepreneurs take their own skills for granted as how everyone can do them. You need a bit more self-love that, hey, I'm pretty good at that. And also a bit more empathy. Not everyone else knows how to do it. You got to train them. Um, but also I think you have to understand your business. Uh, and you've got to understand yourself. And for me, you know, now being in my mid-30s, I don't really apologize so much anymore. I'm not saying I'm going out trying to cause problems, but I don't really apologize for the fact that we're trying to build something that's great. I'm not trying to, you know, lounge around. Um, and you know, that's been one of the challenges of being outside of the United States is, you know, not everyone necessarily gets the, the global vision. Um, uh-huh. so, uh, I'm sure there's many others. <laughs> yeah. I try to focus on them. I don't say I have any regrets. Um, I don't have regrets, but you know, that's been an area that's been a challenge for me. Absolutely. Especially if you're creating an online business or digital footprint business that is global, like literally all over the world. And uh, I can imagine just some of the HR details of it, depending on where you're pulling people from, which country and which cultures and backgrounds, like that alone has probably got its own set of challenges, independent of actually growing a business into the, the massive success that it's been for you so far. I, I, I think the other thing, though, is, I mean, now that I've done that, I've learned a lot of lessons. I try to never learn the same lesson twice. It's a great you know, strategy, I think. But, you know, now I can go out and I can tell folks. And so maybe, I, I guess I've just never seen things as failure. I mean, I've been fortunate. I've never had a business collapse on me, that kind of thing. It's always mm-hmm. been very profitable. Again, that's partially because I just start things that, you know, I'm not starting a restaurant where I'm putting a million dollars. Then I start things that are very nimble. Um, and I think if you're just starting something new, doing that is a good idea. I'm doing low mm-hmm. volume, high dollar uh, work. And so it's not a widget business. But, but anyway, learning that lesson, now I can tell people, you know, go and hire in Serbia and here's what you're looking for, A, B, C, and D. Or, you know, go buy an apartment in Bogota. You know, my 10th real estate deal in Tbilisi, Georgia was better than my first. And so that's why I say learning by doing. You can go out and do it yourself as I have. Or if you're the guy making 800 grand a year or with 10 million in the bank, whatever, you can hire us to do it. And we can kind of, you know, jump, jump you ahead a little bit. But, you know, that's why I don't think it's a failure. Um, because I think it's, a, it's just a way to, to teach people. Here's what not to do. Well said. Go. We're getting towards the end of the time, and I want to respect the rest of your day here. But before we get to the final section of the show, I, I, there's a question that I ask a lot of people uh, relative 
to their businesses and how they would start over. Um, so the question is, if you if you started over with five hundred dollars and an iPhone today, like right now, knowing everything you know, what might you do differently? I would go back to to what I said, which is I think I want to sell to fewer people. Uh, I would start something. You know, obviously, we've got an online business. I think you know when you're five hundred dollars at an iPhone level, you're focused on more of the online side. You're focused more on the tech side. You know, what am I creating in the back end? Um, as that's grown for us, we've seen. You know, I think a lot of people in online business have seen how real world it is and how real world it has to become, which is why you've seen things like people, you know, having phone numbers and call centers uh, for their website, you know, and, and becoming real world businesses. I, you know, I feel pretty comfortable with the model uh, that, we've, that we've run, which is nimble, putting out tons of content, putting out lots of knowledge. I think that's worked very well for us. I would do that again. And just being an expert and being someone that people can... Uh, can trust. And uh, I think you can do that for practically nothing. I, I've always liked starting businesses uh, nimble. That's why I like hiring overseas. I've done very well with that and pay people much more than they'd make anywhere else. You know, that, that, I think that's the perfect model to start with. And it's a matter of time. And I've never been afraid to invest time. And so I think I would probably do a lot of the same things that we've done now. You, know, you said it's an online business. You're creating a lot of content and, and taking it into more of the brick and mortar side You know, with call centers and stuff is where some people go. You have an event coming up in several months. So it's down the track a little ways, but uh -huh. it sounds like you're starting to take and, and do like an actual footprint, you know, boots on the ground meeting and and meeting with people in a live situation. Can you just give us a little bit of a preview of that before we transition to the last part of the show? Yeah, I mean, it was actually the first thing I ever did in the business. I started this as a hobby. I didn't expect it to become what it did. And, and it's gone through a couple of different iterations over the years. So the very first thing we did was we had a conference in 2014 with Peter Schiff as our keynote speaker. It was more focused on the plan B aspects of this. We had another conference in 2015, another one in 2016. And I said, you know, uh, I hadn't figured out the formula at that time for how to get people to do it. And so people just kept coming back to the conferences like every year, like, oh, we're here again. And I'm like, this is ridiculous because I get really antsy when people just don't do stuff. It's like, come on, let's do stuff. Let's get it done. Yeah. And it really drives me crazy. Like on a personal level, I see people, even my own family, they call me and like, oh, maybe we should buy property in Istanbul. It's like, no, you're not going to. Please, you're gonna, I'm going to have a panic attack watching you look again and never do anything. I mean, really. And that's why I like to encourage people to do it. Uh, now I think we've gained a lot of insight over the last five years in working with hundreds of folks. And I said, all right, let's have another conference called Nomad Capitalist Live. So we've got Robert Kiyosaki coming. We've got some other big names coming from crypto, from politics, from uh, all kinds of different things. And my entire team and I basically are going to be there and speaking about the stuff that we're doing. And so for someone who is just trying to dip a toe in, they want to learn about the different strategies, maybe they're not quite sure yet. They're new to this. I mean, obviously, I understand 13 years ago, I had no clue what this stuff was. And so if you know, you're not ready just to, to dive in and do a plan, this is the natural first step, I think, for a lot of people, especially if you don't have that half million dollar tax bill over your head to where you feel compelled to do whatever it takes. Um, so Nomad Capitalist Live is in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. It's uh, September 2020. And uh, yeah, we've got a bunch of people coming and just going to talk about what's working. That's awesome, man. Would definitely look forward to hearing more about that and seeing how it progresses in September 2020. I want to transition to the, to the last section of the show here called the Focus Five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. First question, what book have you gifted most often? 
I've actually gifted my own book called uh, Nomad Capitalist to people who want to learn about this stuff. Other books I've gifted, I have not been a huge guy around books. Uh, we just did a big book push within my team. Good to Great was a good one. I tend to like, and I know that there's one that stands out. I tend to like uh, books that are more self-help, self-awareness books. I can't say there's any one that's really applied. I've read a bunch of them and I gift them situationally. Uh, I try to avoid business books in general, not like like the plague, but I don't mm -hmm. dive into them as much as others because I focus on executing. And I think self-awareness books and stuff like that has been the most helpful. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? There are a lot of people, but I think I would choose Bill Gates. Back when I was 11 or 12, he was a, uh, an idol of mine. I, I looked at his business success. He's been through a lot. Uh, he's obviously built something that's been transformational. He's dealt with all the slings and arrows that come with entrepreneurship, which I, I think is very important for entrepreneurs to, 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 to learn about. And it's been a thing that, that's helped me because, you know, once you know, the bigger you get, the more slings and arrows you get. And what I also love about him is, is he's done a transition that I uh, see myself at some point doing, which is he's gone and done the full transition to philanthropy. And now suddenly he's a guy that people like because he's not the entrepreneur, but I like both sides. That's a, that's a great answer. What is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? Uh, the United States is not the best country in the world. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. When you do, and by the way, you know, listen, I, I give up my U.S. citizenship. So now I'm kind of like a distant third party kind of person and I get to be uh, neutral. And so it's actually removed a lot of the frustration that I had about the, about the identity. Uh, but you know, when you do stuff that no one else wants to do, or if you do stuff that other people aren't willing to do, you know, a lot of people aren't going to understand. Uh, I'll just give you a very quick story. I know, you know, I'm, I'm hosting a party. I host parties in cities around the world, and I invite random people to have big parties. A lot of people don't get it because they're like, this guy's spending $1,000, $2,000 on a party, people he's never met. It's not a part of my world, but for them, it's a very big part of the world. And so I think that you want to, uh, you know, you have to understand that most people aren't going to understand. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, renouncing your citizenship, I mean, that's, a, that's pretty rarefied air. Uh, but, you know, it was the right thing for me. And so if you're doing the right things for you on a big level, people won't understand. That's awesome. Thank you for the story. And thanks for the clarification. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start? Your oh, yeah. so I, so we did this because we're like, like what, 14 hours apart, I think. And I had to have my team call me. I said, you're staying up till midnight in Europe and you're calling me to wake me up for this thing because uh, I'm the worst. <laughs> I, I don't eat breakfast. Uh, I can, my morning routine is I sit in bed for half an hour and I scroll through the phone like a, like a, like a half awake animal. I've started going to the gym early in the morning, so I've done that. But you know, for me, I, I haven't been with these guys with like a super structured routine. I like mm -hmm. plenty of free space to create. So what I've really learned about me and business is I'm an idea person. I like doing the R&D and finding new opportunities, finding new real estate deals, finding new passport deals. And I think for me, less structured time in some cases has been good, knowing, by the way, that I have the, the kick in the butt to get the work done. I'm not sitting around. Um, but mm -hmm. if you can do that, if you can motivate yourself, I found less routine is important. And for the morning, I'm totally worthless. 
That's, that's awesome. And this is exactly why I asked the question because everyone's got a different opinion on it. So thank you for sharing that. And Andrew, thank you for being on the show today. Really appreciate all the value you've brought. What is the best place online that we can connect with you? So nomedcapitalist.com is the website. What people often don't know is we've written over 1600 articles at this point. Um, I, and, and more recently my team about all different kinds of topics. Um, we've got a YouTube channel called Nomad Capitalist with close to a thousand videos. We have the book Nomad Capitalist. And so you can just find it all on our website. Uh, what is the conference, the book, the articles, the videos? Um, you know, I try and put a lot of stuff out there. And if you're looking for some help with this stuff, you can just go there and kind of understand what it is that we do and, and how I've taken the, you know, for me, it's the holistic approach of you got to get the strategy right, but you also have to understand the person. You know, that's mm-hmm. the thing with a lot of these big four accountants and, other people, you know, lawyers, they don't understand because they haven't done it is, you know, this has to be personal. Uh, it has to be something that you're willing to do. And all the questions that you've asked are great questions to explain why a lot of people don't get into this. And, and hopefully those are the questions we answer uh, in our articles and our videos in our book, et cetera. Yeah. And you're putting out great content. I follow your YouTube channel and I got your book on my Kindle. Um, so yeah, you've got some great stuff out there. So I'll link to all of that down in the show notes um, Andrew, man, thank you so much for, for being on the show. Really appreciate your time and uh, have a good rest of your morning. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. That was an incredible episode. I hope you agreed. Definitely has my gears turning about what is possible, what preconceived notions that I've been holding on to that may be worth examining, whether it's where you live or how you live or how you make money or invest, any of it. Guys, if that resonated with you, go down into the show notes. I've got uh, the nomadcapitalist.com as well as his YouTube, all of his social handles down there, um, as well as the book. You can pick all of that up down in the show notes. And while you're down there, check in on Andrew's stuff. I've got my Calendly link so you can connect with me one-on-one and we can get to know each other just a little bit better. And if you're getting value out of this or any of the other episodes I put out, I'd greatly appreciate you taking a few minutes, heading over to iTunes, leaving a written rating and review. Gives me a ton of feedback. I read all of them. Helps me make the show better as well as uh, keep the algorithm pumping so that it gets this show in front of more people. Uh, So guys, without any further ado, I'm going to sign it off. This is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.